Welcome back to Bible Discoveries, The Weekend Show. It is week three. We are in week three. Yeah, Of January of 2024. We're reading through the Bible this year with Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. If you're not reading through the Bible with us, but you want to, there's links in the description below. But on this show, Matlock, my husband, joins me. Hey, Matlock. <laughs> I join you once again. You join me once again, all, all the time. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's great because you're not on the Daily Show. This is true. So it's nice to have yeah. you here. Yeah, it's nice to be weekly. here. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for thanks for being here, Matlock. <laughs> People love you too. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> there's lots of there's always good comments about Matlock. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah we are, we're we're going to discuss big topics that pop up as we're reading through the Bible, and also we aim to discuss things that you want to talk about too. So questions that you send us, topics that you send us, we aim to talk about those and give you diving boards off into further study and maybe some answers as well. So that's right. Why don't you let us know what we were supposed to read in our Bible discovery reading this week? I hope you haven't fallen behind because you're supposed to read Genesis uh, 44 to Exodus 17. It's a big chunk of scripture, but it's it narrative. Is. So it's not too bad. That's right. If you've fallen behind, you can catch back up. It's not too late. That's right. <laughs> and we only have, unlike last week, five questions. Right. We had a ton last week. We had week. 12. Yeah. But we did it. We did it fast. But, but this, th one, this we week can we can take our time a little bit. Take our time. With That's right. No big question. Just, well, some of these questions you could argue could be big questions. Right. But we're just right. treating them like questions. Just treating them like, like questions. The big question. The big, yeah, no, no, no more of that. All right. <laughs> so, Corey, let's start things off. Please. All right. So, uh, Genesis and Exodus is what this pertains to, so both in general. But I yep. think this question actually just pertains to the Bible itself. Okay. So, it's from Linda D. She asked, what did the people in Bible days do to make a living? Besides sheep herding, or did they make their own clothing, grow their own food? What did they do? How did that work exactly? Yeah. Good question, Linda. Thanks for sending it in. Um, it varied where you lived, right? So um, did you live in a city? If you lived in a city, there were more options for you. Generally, life was about survival, right? We live in a very weird time in the Western world where survival... We worry about survival to a certain extent, but not in the same manner that ancient people had to. And definitely people of the Old and New Testament, you know, they didn't have... I live in Canada. Um, we live in Ontario. And we're so, so lucky to, to be here where we can have, you know, fruits and vegetables that aren't in season because Canada has a very long winter, a very cold winter. A lot of things don't grow here. We can import it from other countries. It's not quite the same stability in the ancient world. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people grew their own food um, and, and that was what they did. They had big farms, they, they grew crops, they raised animals, they planted vineyards. We see a lot of that kind of talk in um, the Old Testament, especially in the law in the first five books of the Bible because the promised land, the land uh, of Canaan that God was going to give to Israel was very arable land. So it was very farmable. Uh, land and in different, I mean, that was true in different areas. There were some areas of Israel that were not quite so hospitable, but uh, yeah, so people did farm and they raised uh, animals and, and things of that nature. Uh, people generally uh, made their own clothes uh, and like their own bread and everything from scratch. You could uh, make clothing and sell it. Oh, uh, that's something that we see uh, in Proverbs 31, where it talks about um, 
this wife of a noble making garments of, of scarlet, which would have been very, very, um, because they were dyed, uh, very, very expensive clothing and selling them. That definitely was a thing. Clothing was extremely expensive. I mean, when you look into, it's actually so interesting to look into because they had to make the fibers, right? To make their clothing with, and then they would spin it themselves and then they would weave it themselves. And it would take days, sometimes years upon years of like when you added up all of the labor from different people in order to make a really beautiful garment, uh, like the garment that Jesus wore. We're told that uh, when he was crucified, the soldiers uh, gambled for his clothing uh, because it was one piece of, and I believe it was linen. Uh, um, you can check me on that, but it was, it was a one piece kind of like seamless uh, outfit and uh, his his undergarment, and that would have been very, very, very precious because it was made of one big piece of cloth that would have taken years in added um, labor to create. So clothing was very precious. It's not like the fast fashion of today where we can just go up to the store and buy a blouse, you know, on sale at, uh, at Winners or something or Marshalls, and it's not like that. Your your clothing was handmade and made, so people did make their own clothing. If you lived in a city, you had a bit more options as to um, uh, what you were going to do for a living because you could depend on the marketplaces of the city to for your food. So you could depend on the outside farmers and things of that nature in order to fuel that. Uh, but for the most part, a, a lot of people, even within cities, still kept uh, animals and still did agriculture on a different scale. When you look at places like Tel Rehov, which is T-E-L and then space Rehov is R-E-H-O-V, um, they exca uh, archaeologists excavated Tel Rehov, and I can't remember what year they excavated it, but they found um, an entire beekeeping operation going on inside the walls of a city. So a private re residence had artificial beehives and they were beekeeping within the city for honey, for wax, uh, you know, and, and not only getting sustenance from that and, mat and raw materials to make their own, their own products, but also then being able to sell those products as well. So ancient people were really industrious and there was, there was a vast, um, there was a vast category of, of jobs that people could fulfill, but the most important thing was survival. So if you're, if you're in um, more of a survival situation, then that's what you're going to be focused on. You're going to be focused on growing food. If you're in a society that's already really well built up and you're born in a city or you're born into nobility, it's a little bit of a different story. Right. So here's a follow-up question. So we got a little bit more time. Yeah. Okay. So um, how much of the ancient people's like workloads were specialized? So in other words, say we see chicken farmers, dairy farmers, and things that they're mainly focused on one source, and then you go to the market to get whatever else they need. They weren't just farming everything in and of themselves to sustain themselves. Yeah. So how much of it was specialized? Um, uh, do you see what I'm saying there? I do see yeah. what you're saying. I don't, I don't know specifically, but right. what I do know is that it would have been regional. Right. It would have been regional for sure. And so in different on nomadic, semi-nomadic in their yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. So if you're if you're sedentary, yeah. you're planting crops, right? okay? But what crops you plant uh, depends on what elevation you're at. Right. And it's the same, like I, I'm, a, I'm a novice gardener, like vegetable gardener, okay, <laughs> here in Canada. 
Well, I have to know my planting zone right. to know what I can plant. And then I try planting out those things and the things that do well, I plant more of that. Right. Right. And less of the things that don't thrive right. so in my area. you're saying specialization would happen naturally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and farmers, uh, it's the same with farmers today. They don't just plant one crop, but especially yeah. like in the Middle Eastern climate where it gets cold, but within those cold months, you can still plant. Right. Um, it's going to be slower and it's going to be different, right? So there was different seasons of crops. So the crops would go on like essentially a rotation of like now it's the season for barley. Now it's the season for wheat. Right. Now it's the season for... Uh, you do have mention of... Um, specialized farmers in like date palms right? Uh, because that was a whole industry in, in and of itself because date palms have to be hand fertilized. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So there's even like Egyptian tomb paintings of guys with, um, with long sticks and on the end of the stick is the is the male uh, like, like flower that they've yes. plucked off of a different tree okay. and they're fertilizing the other trees. So you, you're hand fertilizing these things. So, so there were specialties for sure. Right. Um, and even like within Genesis, we see the patriarchs involved in different industries. So we see uh, Abraham, for example, keeping sheep and what seems to be hints of trading, meaning that he was probably a traveling merchant trading in goods. And we know he was very wealthy because he had a very large household. He had 300 trained fighting men as a part of his household. Right. So then you can imagine their families and their children and all of the other servants that weren't trained right. being a part of Abraham's right. household, right? And, and Lot's household as well. But when we get to Isaac, Isaac isn't just a traveling merchant anymore. He actually settles down and he buys land and he plants. Right. So Isaac becomes a land-owning farmer. Now, right. he probably bought the land and paid for tenant farmers to farm it right. because he was a wealthy enough to do that. But when you look in Genesis 26, uh, verse 12, it says, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Right. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And it talks about how the, the men of the area started seeing him as a threat and started getting jealous of him because right. he was just everything that he did, all the business endeavors that he did, God blessed him. Right. So it's varied is what I'm saying. Right. It depended on where you were. People have always been... Um, we are creatures that are in and of our environment. So we look around at our environment and we're very good at utilizing what we see and, right. and adjusting our lifestyle to what is available to us. And definitely ancient people did the same thing. Right. And she, you know, Linda specifically highlights Bible days. That's quite a lot of days. So, <laughs> it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot thousands of, of years. So, so compare the second temple period, let's say, to like the time of Abraham. How much has changed, uh, can you recall, like, for instance, we see, like, dove farming, basically. You have people having, like, these, uh, uh, right? Well, different industries pop up. Okay. That's for sure. Because before there's, we know at some point, at some point during the time period of the kings, for example, we know that the, that the domesticated chicken came to Israel. Interesting. That before the time period of the kings, there's no evidence of domesticated chickens in, in Israel. And, right. and archaeologists see that in the, uh, in the dumps, right. in the refuse right. that's left at the site. So there's no chicken bones. Right. But then sometime in the time period of the kings, chicken bones start showing up. Ah. Okay. And on some of the signet seals that they found in Israel, there's roosters. So all of a sudden, right. the domesticated chicken gets introduced from it. Jezaniah? And I can't remember. Jezekiah? Jezaniah. How did you remember that? I am color me impressed, Matlock. <laughs> 
I'm so impressed that you remember that. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, and uh, we know, like, for, we didn't have any, the Bible talks about beekeeping, right. but until that Tel Rehov excavation, like I mentioned, right, right. there wasn't any evidence of domesticated beekeeping in Israel. Doesn't mean, Lack of evidence doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Yeah. It just means that evidence hadn't survived. Yeah, so you can't right? rely on it, yeah. But they found evidence now of mm. domesticated beekeeping again during the time period of the kings of Israel. Right. Um, dovecots, like you're mentioning, yes. a lot of dovecots in and around the temple in Jerusalem. This makes a lot of sense because doves were offerings. Mm. They were used as offerings, right? right? But we also know that they were eaten as food. And the merchants were selling like, you know, offerings there. So that's interesting. Yes, right. which makes sense because again, not everyone is going to be able to raise their own doves. Not everyone's, not everyone is going to be um, a sheep farmer, for example. Right. So, you see the, so some people are going to be right. purchasing their sacrifices, and that was acceptable. Right. So, so basically, you see same thing that happens today. People see a demand and a need, and they go and they just and they basic, fill it and they fill it in the need. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it's just so it, many different industries. Right. But again. Apart from being in a big city that has a lot of industry available to you, ancient people did do most of these things on right. their own. They made their own clothes. They made their own pottery. They made their own. But when you get into a city, you there were potters. And right. we see this in Jeremiah. He goes to the Valley of the Potters where potters went. Yeah. And he goes to the Valley of the Tanners where people did the very stinky job of tanning leather. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So there were specialized trades. For sure. But those specialized trades are a product of having a city. So a lot of people... Right depending on each other right. for those elements of life that you need. Because yes. apart from that, out in the country, you've right. got to do most of that yourself. Of course, yeah. You can travel into the city and yeah. trade and buy things. Yeah, but. so like chicken farmers today, like our friend James, right. uh, he does he does way more than just chicken farmer. Like he actually is a mechanic also, right? Yeah. He has to fix his, his tractor. For they have different down. animals. They have crops, they right? Have so, yeah, exactly. They have so many different things going Amazing. on. But their main specialty is chicken farming. Right. So it's one of those things where it's okay. So how far does this go? So you're, you're a generalist with a special avenue. Um, yes. Generally and speaking, people for are industrious. Right. Of course. Right. So like, right. if you if you need extra income or if you need extra things, you find a way to do it. Right. You work the longer hours. You 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 know, yeah. and that's and that's we see that in Proverbs, right? right. Where where King Solomon is talking, he's like praising people right. who are like the ant and they're industrious and they see a need and they fill it right. before the need actually comes and yeah. and and. Um, casts shade on the sluggard. He's like, it's too hard. <laughs> yeah. Right? And the same thing like today, like if you make your own clothes, it's cheaper, but it takes way longer. It's you actually could... not even cheaper anymore, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Well, because you have to buy the material. This is a big thing in the crafting world. I love crafts. I love, okay. crafts. Well, I love painting. I love, I love knitting. Right. I'm a knitter. I'm a crocheter. But there's this joke in in right. in this in the crafting world right now it's like why pay $40 at the store for a blanket when you can pay $150 in craft supplies and several hours of your life doing it yourself well that's what i'm saying okay so that's the difference <laughs> what i'm saying is one takes time and energy yeah. one it takes way longer to do so you can go to the market you can buy it yourself yeah. or you can say, quote unquote save the money and you wouldn't save the money back then and just yeah back then it was yourself. a little bit different cuz everyone had to do things yeah yeah everyone had to do things themselves that's right <laughs> anyways okay that's interesting Corey. We, All right. Should I, we move on? We can move on. I've, I've milked that one. Yeah. I like talking about stuff like that. Yeah, so it's fun. It's good. There's a couple really great books. I'll try to remember to pop it down in the comment section below. There's some really good, um, they're old scholarly books that are accessible that talk about like daily life in ancient Israel, specifically when it comes to farming and when it comes to um, 
things of that nature. So right. if I remember, I will pop it down in the comment section below. Okay. All right. Genesis 50, Matlock. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Why must evil and suffering happen to Joseph and others so that God can accomplish his good will? Right. Now, I suppose this is referring to um, Genesis 50, verse 20. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So let me read that out loud. So uh, right here it is. This is uh, Joseph speaking. Actually, I'll start at verse 19. Mm -hmm. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Uh, as for you, so do not fear, am I in the place of God? Wow, that is... Yeah, that's a difference. Different. That's yeah, <laughs> sorry. There's a big difference there. I hope Inflection you caught on to the difference. Matters. I hope you caught on to the difference. And if you didn't, there's, we have concerns. All right. Do not fear. Okay. There we go. For I am in... Uh, oh my goodness, again. <laughs> okay, let's try one Anyways, more. Third time's move the charm. On. Yeah. Are you going to do it? You want me to do it? No, it's oh, okay. I thought you were going to do it. Do not fear, for I am for am I in the place of God. Wow, I am blowing this. <laughs> it just I keep switching them. Anyways, let's just keep it. It's funny because I'm not even getting to the verse I want. I'm stuck in the verse earlier. Anyways. You need some more tea. As Maybe take I a do, sip. I know. As for you, you uh, meant evil against me, but mm -hmm. God meant it for good. To bring it about for many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus be comforted. Uh, and uh, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. Apparently I can't read today. That's okay. Okay, so the question is... Yeah, so is, they meant evil against Joseph, yes. but God meant it for good. Right, and the question is, why must evil and suffering happen to Joseph and others so that God can accomplish his goodwill? Well, right. technically, Joseph and others, God doesn't need these things to happen. It happened. Because it says here very specifically, um, you meant evil against me. Mm -hmm. He's not saying God meant evil. He's saying the people meant evil. So people in their free will are doing evil things. Joseph bears the brunt of these evil things. God takes it and uses it for good. And God, you through that, saves many lives. Could there have been a different avenue where Joseph wasn't you know, sold enslaved? into slavery? And I, I'm like, sure, right? Like he had probably. The, right? probably. So, so yeah. So, but that's just the way it goes. It's like this is the way that God divinely saw things were ordered, and it just so happens to be a very typological event for how Christ is going to save the Jews. So you have this um, uh, mirror image of uh, if Joseph is like Jesus, who, uh, who the Jews currently see as a Gentile and dismissed. Uh, well, we believe that you know the Jews will return to Christ at the end. That's our eschatological beliefs, that they have a partial hardening and they'll, and they'll return. And this idea of Joseph is a direct uh, typological parallel to Christ, who you know, they sell him, they trade him off, they don't want anything to do with him. But then behind the surface in this Gentile world, he's actually working on saving them from themselves. And then at the very end, the Jews uh, come and they return and Joseph's like, I am actually your brother who you sold out. And they repent. Uh, and that's this beautiful eschatological symbol of Christ uh, waiting for his chosen people to return. So anyways, that's kind of off topic. But the point here I'm trying to say is, is that God does, God does not need evil to occur to accomplish goodwill. Evil will happen. And God will use that for good if you're following Christ, if you're repentant and you're obeying him and following his ways. So the point here is trying to say is that God uses evil. He doesn't, you know, create and endorse evil. He doesn't need it. He doesn't depend on evil things to happen in order to do good. Good God created the world good and corruption came. Um... So if evil always depends on good, not the other way around, and God is good. Mm -hmm. So that's how it works. So, right. So um, that's my quick answer to that question. Um, now, 
And I think the reason why it happened the way it did is like I said, that narratival and typological parallel to the Messiah who's gonna come. So all of these stories that you have written and in here are parallels to Christ. And it's like, even the Exodus spent everything. Mm -hmm. They're parallels to, to salvation and what Christ is gonna do. And this one is a, is an amazingly, it was actually, when I first read this, it was like, I was like teared up because it's one of the most powerful stories. Well, yeah, because we see we see such a character development within yeah. Joseph, right? With all the, this is one of the beautiful things about the Bible too, and about and about Christianity is that is that this principle holds true: is that what the enemy means for evil, yeah, will be turned into our good. That's a huge point of hope for the Christian, and it's to the point where we believe we will see it here during our lifetime. But even if we don't, we know that we're going to see it after. That's the hope that examples like Joseph instill mm. within the believer. Um, and I think I think we also are supposed to take this lesson from Joseph where, I mean, he could have been extremely bitter against his brothers and he could have harbored all of that. Right. But instead of focusing on everything that was done wrong to him, he focused instead on the blessings of God despite right. the things that had been done wrong to him. And so when he has an opportunity to enact vengeance on his persecutors, instead he realizes, no, it's God who is the judge of our moral actions. Yeah. And I have an opportunity to either stand in the place of God and take vengeance yeah. or forgive and save. And I choose to show mercy because I want God to show mercy to me. Right. And we see Joseph get to that place. Mm. And like if Joseph can do it, you can do it. I can do it. It's it's one of those things. No, I agree with you. Um yeah, because he's specifically saying, am I in the place of God? Yeah. yeah he does not, he's, he wants everyone to be clear. It's like he's not going to judge them for their poor decisions. Which he's is amazing because his culture has said, you are literally in the place of God. Yes. Like the, the Pharaoh and the vizier, the Pharaoh and the second in command, literally were acting on behalf of the gods of Egypt. Yes. He had that authority. His human culture had told him, you have the authority of right. God to act. What you say will happen. And he's able to stand there and go, wait a second. Am right. I in the place of God? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to enact vengeance. Yeah. Um, this, and, this... and you see, you see that e even though even though God has elevated him, yeah. his life experiences have made him see the reality that that he's just a man, that That's he right. should be humble. Yeah. And like this story of forgiveness. Like he has all the power in the world. He, like he was toying yeah. with them this whole time. He absolutely right? could do whatever he wanted. Right. And the whole time he's weeping, right? Uh, because, you know, he loves his family. He probably misses them. He wishes life went differently. There's a whole, so many things are going on right through his mind, just humanly speaking. Um, at the same time, he chooses to do forgiveness. Yeah. And mercy. Um, and mercy. Which, this is before the Day of Atonement. This is before it was ritualized. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's so powerful because it's just raw humanity. Yeah. Right? It's like what humans are supposed to be like. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, it's an amazing story. Um, and 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 like I, I just morally in our culture, I feel like our culture. To me, it seems like our culture in the West has given us the the 
the moral power that Egypt gave to Joseph physically. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I do. So they gave Joseph all the physical power. Mm. He had money. He had influence. He had authority. His word was law as long as it didn't contradict Pharaoh's will Mm. or word. And our society says to us today, you get to decide who's God. Yeah. Who's Christianity? They're just trying to control you. You get to decide what's right and wrong based on how you're feeling that day. And it's easy for us to believe that. Yeah. Because it's steeped in every single message that almost every single message that's marketed to us. Yeah. Like this idea is marketed to us. You're enough. You get to decide. You're a good person. You choose morality. We choose morality. Not God. Yeah. Not the Bible, definitely. Yeah. And and I think that we, in a different but a similar way, are are put into a similar situation as Joseph, where we decide what we do with this power. Mm. But Joseph knew it was an artificial power. He knew that God was still real mm. and that God would hold him accountable for how he treated other human beings and how he treated his oppressors, his brothers. So he chose to follow the moral path of God. He chose to offer forgiveness and mercy, just like we have to choose God's morality and God's way, even though the lie is that we can do what we want. Mm. And the whole time he was going through these things unjustly. Yeah. Right? Sure, he was he came across arrogant. Even Jacob was like, "Who are you to say these things about your dreams?" Right? Mm-hmm. He came across arrogant. He was a kid. He was a kid, right? He was kid. <laughs> Maybe he was like seventeen, but still, kid. Still, think about yeah, the yeah, yeah. decisions you made when you were seventeen. Uh, it's stupid. Uh. So, so the point here is that, but through this unjust uh, injustice, mm-hmm. he still perseveres and is, has faith with God the whole time, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think that's an amazing thing. That's something that we can learn from. 100%. Because everyone else in the in third world, it doesn't matter what, you're in a different country in the world. You're in a poor nation, right? Versus us wealthy nations, right? The poor nations, they're not complaining about how God is good. Yeah. No one complains about that. The only people who are questioning whether God is good are the wealthy nations. Yeah. And while they sit in their house and they have a nice time, God, is, God has blessed their forefathers, our forefathers, to give us, uh, uh, to provide for us so that we can have a nice life. And in our great wealth and possessions, we're like, God's not good. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's bad. Yeah. Anyways, this, you know, it's terrible. Corey, we should move on. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Exodus 3 to 16. A huge The point. whole Exodus. The whole okay. Exodus. Yeah. okay. The whole Exodus event, That's I should right. say. That's <laughs> right. Because the question is, what is the meaning of the Exodus from Egypt? What is the meaning of the Exodus from Egypt? What is the meaning Egypt? of it, Corey? There is so much more. Uh, <laughs> this is why this is the bigger question one. Uh, okay. Just th- throw it in there. Go ahead. How would I boil down the meaning of the Exodus? There's different ways to take this. Thinking about this as the fly. I, on, Do you on want me fly. to start off? No, 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 no. It's okay. So it's first first of all, the exodus of the event is God's establishment as the king of Israel. Because he takes people who are not a nation properly. He rescues them from their oppressor and gives them a codified law Mm. 
therefore becoming their king. Yes. So this is the beginning of Israel as a proper nation. It's the next step in the grand story that God is telling through the Bible, right? And he tells the story through Israel where he's going to redeem, humanity fell and he's going to redeem humanity and he's going to do it through the ancient people of Israel. That's how his Messiah is gonna come about. And so he has to make the nation of Israel a proper nation. Now, through doing this, there's a lot of things that happen. God judges evil. God confronts humanity gone bad. Um, so there's a lot of, of sub-themes in there, but I would yeah. say the overarching point of the Exodus event in and of itself is God's establishment as Israel, as his special nation, and him as king over it. That's what I would right. say. How about yeah, you? I, I think that there's... Um... There's different, like, what do we say? What do we mean by meaning, right? Because yeah. there's so many different, like, it can mean so many different things. Um, we're talking about just the historical meaning of it. Or that could be pretty easy to talk about. But we're talking about just, like, the prophetic meaning of it for a moment and, and, and how it parallels salvation. Uh, even, even so much that, like, uh, Paul equates uh, crossing the Red Sea or the Reed Sea as with baptism. Baptism, yeah. That's because right. Because he says all of you are slaves to sin. Yes. You are, you are enslaved to sin and you need to be rescued. Right. And so you go through, God calls you out. Yeah. But you hear his word and he calls you out and you go through the water of baptism. Right. As Israel went through the Reed Sea or the Red Sea. That's right. And on the other side, God changes you as he changed Israel right. and in he the wilderness. And he delivers you to the promised land. So it's like the, whole, yeah. the whole structure of the Exodus is a salvation message. Like yes. it, and it's actually a symbolic event that and there's points like sub symbolism event. within the actual event itself. That's right. It's wild, like Passover, like Passover right. and 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 the the blood of the Nile and the the um, the pillar of fire and cloud in the wilderness. Like all of it yeah. is so in, in imbibed with symbolism that gets fleshed out as Israel's history goes on. That's right. So yeah, I think that the meaning of the Exodus, in one sense, prophetically, is to point to the greater Exodus that's to occur. Yeah, Do you see agreed. what I'm saying? Uh, in, uh, come the new heavens and new earth. Um, so I think that that's one big factor there. Though you could talk about this for a long time, because it's a big question. Um, the uh, one thing that was really interesting, too, is that the parallel that, that Paul makes between the baptism of the Reed Sea, the Red Sea. Yeah. Comparing that to baptism, and then Peter also compares it to the flood. Yeah. And this idea that um, when you're baptized, you're actually going through the waters unscathed. The waters are a wall above you, you're going through. But then there's also a parallel to the flood. There's like a cleansing. double- A, a judgment and a cleansing. Like, so you're, yeah. you're washing, you, essentially in a way, as we were, as um, Christ calls us to be fishers of men. Mm-hmm. It's picture it like Noah in a way, where it's like Noah's in the ark, and now you're called, rather than just be watching these people drown and die, mm-hmm. you're now called to fish them out, Mm-hmm. right and put them on your boat mm-hmm. that's your call mm-hmm. so you're part of the ark as being part of the church of christ the assembly of christ and now you're called to fish people out of the water who are dead good as dead in their sins as good as dead yeah. as good as dead and you pull them out and then, and then they're saved and then you do so right through the power of christ and different things so you have this beautiful like imagery that you're passing through the waters right that you went in right you're, you're right and, you, mm-hmm. and you're, you're coming through to the promised land anyways now that's more flood imagery. At the same time, it ties into this 
Red Sea crossing of a tree. And so it's, I don't know, it's just a beautiful thing about, about salvation. So that would say, on a, on a grand scale, a grand prophetic scale, that's the meaning of the Exodus. Yeah, I think on? that's good. I, I think, think that's good. good. Okay, right. yeah, we're going to move on. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, sure. Okay. From Exodus 16 and Genesis 2, pertaining right. to. Okay. Um, Genesis 2, verses 1 to 7, talks about how God rested. Right. Why did God rest if he cannot get tired? Right. Oh, and then Exodus 16, it refers to. Yeah, when it's talking right. about the Sabbath, it refers to God resting. Yes. Okay, so why did God rest? So what's the deal with God resting that walk? Is okay. he are we anthropomorphizing God and saying he's like literally a human being up there who has to sleep? Well, I, Jesus even says, My father is always working. Right. <laughs> right? And so um Yeah, when questioned about the Sabbath. When questioned about the Sabbath, thank you. Right. So uh no, I don't think it's because he like he I think he literally rested, but why did he literally rest is the question. Um, but a lot of people think that it I means don't think he literally rested from creating. Yes. That he was actively oh. in creating, then he stopped creating. Yes. Yeah, he was doing, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right? That's why you can't start a fire. It's like creating right. something from nothing. It's yeah. Like that, that same principle. Um, anyways, so if we're following the Sabbath, you know, in the Israelite sense, yeah, the old Judaic, old covenant sense, yeah, you can't start a fire. Anyways, so uh, I don't think it has anything to do with him getting tired. I actually think it's a soteriological parallel. So I think it's a parallel to salvation. And um, I just recently wrote something on this on my blog called Rest Assured. And it's basically how uh, how Sabbath and salvation and how they're related. I know it's, I haven't, I wrote it a couple months ago, so I'm trying to see if I can remember it. But long you story link short, it. I could link, I'll put it in the description link box it, below. Link it, Matlock. Yeah, I'll put it in the description <laughs> box below. But in a nutshell, um, what is our final rest? Our rest is in God. And mm-hmm. how does that look, right? So it's like, the whole point of Sabbath, what is the point of Sabbath itself? Sabbath was constituted by, uh, I say by Christ, by God, as a sign to these real people, that A, that they belong to them, but more so as a sign um, that, uh, uh, what is it, that God, not only that God watches over them, it's been a while, um, but the Sabbath is a sign. Of the covenant between them. Yes, but it's more than that. It's specific. Um isn't that what it literally says, though? Doesn't it say it's, it'll be a sign in the covenant between us? Is yes, that what you're trying to It is a sign, but it's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's more than that. I just I wish I could remember. But uh, um, long story short is that this idea that paradise and rest are the same thing and that Sabbath is a typological and nonverbal prophecy parallel to salvation. So, and yeah. Hebrews talks about this. So we're supposed to enter into that rest. That's yeah, into the, Sabbath, the rest of Christ. The Sabbath rest is still continuing into the rest of Christ, but into the, the, the one promised land that's to come. Yeah. Right? And that's in Christ. And you only can do that through Christ. Well, and that's, and Christ and that's why you, Christ says, you can rest come in to me, all of you who yes. are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right. So you rest in God, you rest in Christ, mm-hmm. and then through that process, that's how salvation comes. That's how true rest comes. You have, there's a, a parallel in the text of people who are restless and that being like damnable, like the, the evil are restless. Yeah. Yeah. And the people who are- Tossed this way and that by the storm. That's right. And people yeah. who are righteous find rest mm-hmm. for their souls and are uh, likewise refreshed mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, so long story short is that uh, uh, Sabbath is a parallel to salvation. So that's, I don't think it is about whether or not God gets tired and looking at it like a human sense. It's really about everything that's that's being written in the Bible is 
theologically tuned. Yeah, it's right. purposefully chosen. The language is purposefully yes. chosen, and and that extends beyond to a reality as well. I mean, I mean, we do believe in in the reality of God and and in the reality of His actions, and so there's this this greater sense in which God chose to rest and chose to have it recorded as rest for our benefit. That's right. And so, yeah, and then what does Christ say? I, uh, he says, uh, Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, so in other words, God made Sabbath so that we could rest, mm -hmm. right? But, but why do we rest? Why do we sleep? Mm -hmm. So why did God create sleep in the first place? It's like all these things are like, okay, so God created sleep so that we could experience like a microcosmic death mm -hmm. every day, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, and you know, what does that point to, right? What is, what is the, when Paul says that um, uh, a seed, that we we're all like seeds and that out of the seed crops new life. You know yeah, what I'm we about? must die. First Corinthians 15. And be planted. Before, right. Yeah. So what is death? Well, we our seed dies, we're planted in the ground mm -hmm. and then new creation, new earth, we rise out of the ground, mm -hmm. right? And that's that idea. So it's like you have this these these parallels are throughout all of scripture. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I, I just looking at things in that uh, visually typological way, I think is I find very helpful. Um, but yeah, not to look at it like God is um, needs to rest. I don't think that's not the case. No. But He's doing it for our benefit, and He just wants like to how learn He more. asks questions that He already oh, knows the answer what? to. It's because yeah. He wants the human interaction. He wants. That's right. The self-reflection that comes from having to answer a question That's right. about your life. Uh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Good things. All right. I think I've just beaten the horse. That's great. That's great. I yeah, think we're done with that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sure. if you wanted to learn more about that Sabbath rest assured article, just check in the link below and, and it's there. Because I, I, I kind of botched it in my explanation. Okay. Anyways, Corey. Yes. This is actually the last question. Fantastic. We're doing oh, great. I know. It's actually just a general inquiry. Okay. Too. Okay. So it, it is from a, a Leslie Kay. I'm considering buying the Woman's Study Bible by Thomas Nelson. They have two versions, KJV and New King James. Their website explains that they have updated to make it easier to understand. However, these newer versions could change God's message. Do you have an opinion on this? I have been praying your life. Uh, I have been praying your life event today has been very successful. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Leslie. I cannot read today. <laughs> I was going to say, you read. need to finish your tea. <laughs> okay, yeah, anyways. There's a big snowstorm going yeah. on outside. The air pressure is wonky. Our littlest one was I up a lot you last night. Me. Yeah, I'm you here for to. you. You could have thrown me under the bus completely. I'm here for you, hon. This is typical Matlock. <laughs> partly, partly true. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> it's for them to guess that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what was I going to say? I do. Uh, yes. Okay. So, Leslie, thank you for this question. Thank you for your prayers for the live event. That's so sweet of you. It did go really well. So thank you so much for all of that. Um, I would not be worried about getting the New, K New King James Version. Uh, it's a great, it's a great Bible translation and it's readable. So actually most uh, modern English translations, I don't think you have to be weary about reading them uh, because they're done by a team of uh, Bible scholars who all speak the language and they all come from different denominational backgrounds. So what that does is it minimizes the risk of uh, interpreting a passage 
from a specific denominational point of view. So I think those are actually really helpful. But when we're talking about the King James Version versus the New King James Version, I absolutely would encourage you, I mean, read both if you wanna read both, but I would absolutely encourage the New King James Version for this reason. It's that Old English can be very difficult to understand and it can be very tricky to understand. So there are some words that are the same words today today and that were used in the 1600s that have vastly different meanings. Uh, Someone who explains this so well, I stumbled onto his YouTube channel um, uh, early last year. His name is Mark Ward. Uh, and he grew up only reading the King James Version, uh, and and uh, he went to Bible school and learned the languages and and learned all about it. Now he has this he has a great YouTube channel. So you look him up, Mark Ward, and he talks about the King James Version and uh, talks about some of these words that uh, are false friends. He calls them. So it look they're the same word, but they have vastly different meanings. So the problem with that is that you're going to be reading the King James Version with the modern definition in mind, and that actually changes the meaning of the scripture. Uh, So it's not a good thing. It can be a very, very difficult thing. Now, for some people, they've done a lot of work with Old English, and that's okay, and and they want to keep reading the King James Version. So by all means, read the King James Version, but be aware of those false friends and be aware of the language. And I think that's where Mark Ward's channel, I really appreciate it because he's not saying don't read the King James Version. He's saying, yeah, read it, but be aware of the changes in English. So I would absolutely encourage either, but definitely if you want, it's more important to me that you understand the word of God. So reading the NKJV, two thumbs up from me because it's written with uh, English words uh, that have definitions today that match the original intent of the Hebrew and the Greek. Yeah, and the question is then for the KJV guys, which which translation? Because there's 110 of them. Yeah. So it's it's like more. So it comes really comes down to, okay, so which one is more pure? And it's like that... To me, it, it becomes obscure because if language is changing over time, like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the word disappoint. So in Old English, the word disappoint was strictly functional. You're in a position, you've been disappointed from that position to a lower position. Therefore, you're disappointed as opposed to appointed to a higher position. Right. Um, so you've been removed from that position. Uh, whereas today, disappointed means you're just sad. So oh, yeah, I, I wish things happened differently. I was hoping for something and that hope yeah, has been dashed. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, once again, and I'm sure that's how you felt if you were disappointed from your position. Yeah. Um, you can see, a lot of times you can see the bridge that English has taken to get to its modern definition. Exactly. Definite. Sometimes you can't, which is wild to me. I find it really, really interesting. It is. It's true. But seriously, you guys, look up Mark Ward. Yes. Mark Ward, W-A-R-D on YouTube. Uh, he's got a really cool, really cool YouTube channel. With I think it's always really interesting to look at the definitions of modern words versus ancient words in terms of English because yes. it has changed so much, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I would I would emphasize readability, like understandability over a, an antiquated version. Uh, and and I, I think like a lot of a lot of it is hype. A lot of it, a lot of the um, the rhetoric that you hear, in my opinion, from what I've studied and from what I've read of the different translations and, and going back to the original languages, a lot of the discrepancies are hype. It's not actually 
real. That's just because you're a complete liberal scholar, Corey. Stop it! <laughs> St not even close. No. Not even close. Neither liberal nor a scholar, so it's okay. It's okay. Just concerns. Yeah. Christian yeah. lady. No, it's true. Yeah, I think, <laughs> who yeah, loves you the could Bible. do King James. You could do New King James. It yeah. really comes down to what you've understand, what you grew up with helps. Yeah, right? definitely, definitely. Right. The New King James version is very poetic, and I love it. Yeah, I love it. I I love the New King James version. I like the ESV. I like the NIV. And, I yeah. Like yeah. the NASB, that's okay too. I currently read the ESV, and you're reading the ESV. Right I'm reading now. the ESV. It's not my favorite, but I right. like it. There's and, nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and but even still, there's some verses. Like in Hebrews, where faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Mm -hmm. um, that verse, I said this before, is I don't think it's accurately translated in the ESV. I think the New King James better because, translates it. Yeah, because what happens is you have to prioritize certain ways of translating exactly. things. Exactly. Right? And and so... Certain words that's why having semantic a semantic range. Yes. And they're trying to figure out what's the best word that best encapsulates the semantic range of this word. Yes. And sometimes I think that all translations will be like, okay, I think you chose a better word here. Yeah, you got to make choice. They have to make choices. And that's like yeah. when you talk to, uh, we have a few friends that I can think of, like old friends, haven't seen them in years, who translate. I think in, like Jessica. Right. Uh, she, she translates between Russian and English so well. And even just seeing her and talking to her about like that, the the challenge that it is going back and forth quickly between two languages and trying to find the the right words and the right. semantic words. It's so interesting. If you know someone who translates fluently, you should talk to them and talk to them about the challenges of it because I find that so interesting. Right. But I'm kind of a nerd, so it is. Maybe it's not a yeah. well, Corey. I finished thing to be interested by. We're done. I finished my tea, which means I can probably read now. But not that it matters. <laughs> it's over now, Matlock. <laughs> Next time, yeah. drink most of the tea before we start. Yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. I'm a little tired. I've just like, just like lost all it's energy. because our youngest, Wesley, was up a lot last night. Yes, he was. It's been rough. We've had yeah. like ear infections and some back to school germs going going around. That's okay. <laughs> it's fine. All right, guys. Yeah. Leave your, your comments and your questions below because we're just going to sit here and shoot the breeze all day. If we're both kind of tired. Yeah. Uh, please write us your comments. Write us your questions for the upcoming episodes. Until next week, happy reading and studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high-quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.